meditating on a single phrase from the blessing of the cardinal prayed over the newly ordained priest immediately after he placed the chasuble on him. The phrase goes as follows, quote, Pour down, O Lord, upon these thy servants the favor of thy blessing. They may believe what they read, teach what they believe, and practice what they teach. Close quote. May they believe what they read, preach what they believe, and practice what they preach. At this particular time in history, this blessing may be more necessary for priests than perhaps any other time. Why? Because of the state of the church and human elements, especially uh, priesthood. Take, for example, the warning given in 1903 by Pope St. Pius X in his very first encyclical Pope. Who can fail to see the society is at the present time more than in any past age suffering from a terrible and deep-rooted malady which developing every day and eating into its inmost being is dragging it to destruction. You understand, Venerable Reverend, what this disease is? Apostasy from God. Close quote. Or consider the sad description, gives more details. Following Pope Pius XI's 1928 encyclical on reparation to the Sacred Heart. Among the faithful themselves, there found so many men laboring under an incredible ignorance of divine things and infected with false doctrines, leading a life involved in vices. There's a greatly increasing carelessness of ecclesiastical discipline. The education of children is altogether neglected, or else it is depraved. There's a sad forgetfulness of Christian modesty, especially in the life and dress of women. There's depreciation of legitimate authority. And lastly, a contempt for the word of God, whereby faith itself is injured or brought into proximate peril. Close quote. A final thought, consider that heavenly warning given in Rome in April 1947. But it was the Virgin Mary. There's a shrine not uh, attended by the conventional Franciscans that stands at the site of the apparitions, right near where St. Paul had his head chopped off. Among other things, our Lady said, quote, Be obedient to the authority of the Pope. Live the faith. Return to the pure source of the gospel. Pray much and recite the rosary for the conversion of sinners, of unbelievers, and of all Christians. Close quote. She pointed to the ground. At her feet was a black cloth with a smashed crucifix on it, symbolizing the distinctive clothing and other distinguishing signs, which would be discarded by so many priests and religions. She said the priests would have a deeper faith and the revealed truths of our faith. They would have greater obedience to the teaching authority of the Church. 
contrary, not only this very nature precludes the presence of error, but is necessary excludes it, forbids it. It's God, the supreme truth, necessarily cannot be the author of error. Consequently, it is not to the point to suggest the Holy Spirit used men as his instruments for operating, that therefore, while no error is referable to the primary author, it may very well be due to inspired authors themselves. Close quote, the Vicar of Christ. Wait a minute, Father. If there can't be any errors whatsoever in Scripture, does this mean things like the creations of heavens and earth in a week? Creation of Adam and Eve on the sixth day are supposed to be taken seriously. Nobody believes that stuff except for fundamentalists. Typical objections and strike at the heart of the current situation. Yes, it's true, for example, that Moses, the human author of the first five books of the Bible, lived thousands of years ago. It's certainly true. It's not to the point. Implicit in an objection of that sort is something like, we made incredible progress in science and technology over the centuries, and what men believed thousands of years ago might have been fine back then, but nowadays we know better. And certainly if we were speaking of questions of science and technology, only a fool would deny that we know more. But we're not speaking about these questions of science and technology. I have to constantly remind people the Bible is not a science book. Everybody needs to burn that into memory. The Bible is not a science book. When the Bible makes statements about the creation of heads and earth and the weak, creation of Adam and Eve, and so forth, only a fool would take those are scientific statements. Those are not scientific statements. They're historical statements. The Bible is not a science book. It's a child full of history. History is not a science problem. For example, if someone wants to answer a question about history, say what happened in the Battle of Gettysburg. What's the suggested method of starting? Working its way through a whole bunch of complex mathematical equations? Taking up a science book? Doing a whole bunch of experiments? Of course not. No one tries to understand history by doing experiments in math. No one would try to understand the Battle of Gettysburg or any other historical event by using that sort of methodology. Although in some cases mathematics and science can contribute to historical studies, history is not a math problem. History is not a science problem. History is a question of evidence. It's a question of evidence. If one asks your historical questions, we look at the evidence. For example, we ask ourselves, were there witnesses? Are they consistent? Are they reliable? Are there documents? Are they consistent? Are they reliable? Are there artifacts, things like photos, tapes, footprints, crosses, nails, tombs? Are these consistent with the witnesses, the documentation? Are these reliable artifacts? Questions about the creation of heaven and earth, the way the creation of Adam and Eve on the sixth day are historical questions, and as such, must be answered by the historical method. Are there witnesses? Are there documents? Are there artifacts? Are they consistent? Are they reliable? So were there witnesses? Yes. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. 
talk about this. One of the principal reasons for the crisis, if you don't believe in God's word, how can we, how can we be confident about it? Two, you have to pray. Three, you have to preach. Four, administer the sacraments. It's almost upside down. Sacraments, when somebody receives a sacrament, that's a response in faith. If we see all these people shuffling up the communion, shuffling away, nothing happening, why is that? The faith is produced by hearing. What did the apostles do? They went out and preached. They prayed and then they preached. That's why they named people like deacons to help them so they could give their ministry over to prayer and preaching. That, you have a response in faith. Then the confessions fill up. Then the people know what they're doing, they're going to communion. The sacraments are a response in faith. And if we're handing them wax fruit, small wonder, there's no progress. Small wonder. The preaching of God's word is not a human activity. To produce faith in the soul, one must be imbued with faith. The words we present must be words of faith. It's the word of God. You have to meditate on that meaning of that word. It's the word of God. No one can give what he does not have. Thank you. 
beginning of that honoring worship of heaven. Think of the influences of such masses on the faithful. Then we learn to recognize the dignity of our priesthood, which is the continuation of Christ's priesthood. They gradually come to look on Christ, not really as a figure of history who once walked the streets of Palestine, but as the God-man who still is on to make intercession in their behalf.
one-year-old go past who ever made this statement. I thank God every day that He permits me to live in the present time. Once you feel proud to be a witness of this money drama, and in a certain sense, even to take part. in a tremendous battle. At the present hour, no one has a right to be mediocre. On May 29, 1938, Pope Pius XII revealed the statement to the world that these words put to shame Thank God every day that he permits you to live in this 